It's a big world. Bigger than we think. It can be cruel. Harsh. Mean. Even brutal. brutal. The world is full of barriers. Religious. Ethnic. Monetary. Social. Racial. It's a world where barriers can seem too tall. Too strong. Even in my own school. My home. It's a world where finding hope can seem hopeless. Where there doesn't seem to be enough love to go around. A love of a different kind. Yes, it's a big world. But it's smaller than we think, too. There are times when hope breaks through. When a love of a different kind walks in. A love of a different kind. A love that breaks down the barriers. Gives. Not takes. Heals. Not hurts. Strengthens. Rather than destroys. A love that makes things safe. Safe. Gives purpose. Makes life worth living. Amen. Amen. We welcome you today to Victory. My name is Michael Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory, and it is a blessing to have each and every one of you with us in this series called The Life You've Always Wanted. We've been using a book by John Ortberg uh, that deals with spiritual disciplines, and I know that's something that doesn't really sound too exciting. Uh, to most of us at any time, particularly the word discipline at all, I, I really thought it as a bad word when I was growing up. Uh, as an adult, sometimes I still do. I, I recognize the benefit and the blessing of being a disciple of Christ and being one who is pursuing discipline so that I can be like the master. The scripture says that the servant is never greater than the master. And the ultimate object is, is for the student to become like the teacher. I believe it was Abraham Lincoln said, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And I think that is what we're going to look at today in John chapter 13. This message is in chapter 7 of the book. I'm jumping ahead a couple of chapters. Uh, last week, Alex did a fantastic job on the discipline of celebration. Most of the time, folks don't think of spiritual disciplines as something that there's any fun involved with. And that's unfortunate. And I thought he did a great job to help create the atmosphere and everybody looked under your seat wondering what in the world he's going to pull out of that bag. I don't have a bag of tricks this morning, uh, but I just want to tell you, I, I relish that time together when we can give God praise and let joy come out of our hearts. And remember last Sunday when you put the horn to your mouth and we all tooted and blew that thing at the same time. Celebration is a discipline. Joy is a discipline. We have to decide to walk in joy. Somebody say amen. A uh, song we sing around here once in a while says, after all I've been through, I still have joy. How many of you are thankful for the joy of the Lord, which is your strength? Say amen. Today the message is from chapter 7 in the book, The Life You've Always Wanted. It's about this issue called appropriate smallness. We, we live in a word where everything, a world where everything is judged by the bigness of the bottom line and the size, the square footage of the house and the length of the boat and the carat weight of the diamond on her hand when you ask her and she says, I do. Success and all of those things have driven us to the idea that big is always best and something that is out here and that is broad and wide and deep and showy and all of those kinds of things. But yet I want you to see that we are a part of a kingdom that Jesus said, if you want to live, you have to die. And if you want to be blessed, 
to receive. You first have to learn how to give. And if, if you want to lead in this upside down kingdom, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself in the message this morning, but it's really all about the importance of servanthood. Everybody say servanthood. The little clip that you saw this morning is one that I think is so critical in that we can say we love our brother, we can say we love our sister, but if we don't do that with action, Jesus said by this, will all men know that you have love one to another. You will be my disciples. All men will know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. This morning, my text is found in two places. In John chapter 13, I'm reading from the ESV, and if you'll open your message notes, you should have a copy the, the scripture is right there, John chapter 13 and verse 1. The Bible says, now before the feast of the Passover. Everybody say, right now. This is the week. We're heading into the celebration of Good Friday, which is the crucifixion. And then Sunday, on the third day, the scripture says, he was raised from the dead. On Sunday, next Sunday, we'll be celebrating resurrection. And so we encourage you to invite your friends. The place is going to be packed be the biggest crowd we have all year long. It always is. We encourage you to come early and get a seat. We'll have extra chairs out. We're excited about it. It's going to be an amazing day. I'll be preaching a message that is connected to this book called The Life You've Always Wanted, but it's so dramatically tied to what happened on that third day when Jesus got up out of the ground. I think American Christianity, to some degree, has so emphasized the cross, and we have forgotten that there is an empty tomb that followed. Multitudes of men died on crosses. And the cross is significant in that Jesus was different from all the other guys who did die on the cross because he didn't deserve to die. Amen. Passover is the celebration, the feast in the Hebrews where the lamb was slain. It was the picture that, the, that God delivered the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt by the blood of the lamb. While they were still in Egypt, the blood was applied to the doorposts of the place where they were dwelling. In the same way, Jesus Christ has become our Passover. And when we apply by faith, we reach out and receive the free gift of grace. And by faith, we say, Jesus, save me. Then the blood of the Lamb of God, which took away the sins of the world, gets applied to the doorposts of our own hearts. And then the death angel passes over and God's judgment has already been poured out on Jesus. And you know that. Uh, what I wrestle with as a pastor in the Bible Belt South is an attempt to try and make that fresh. It's an attempt to try and grab the attention of people who have literally been saturated with the gospel. We, we have heard it over and over and over, and we are so familiar with John 3.16 and the guy who holds it up at, the, at the, all the ball games. And across all the airwaves, radio and internet and TV and shortwave, and every kind of medium imaginable, the gospel has gone forth. And America has been saturated with the gospel. And so my challenge here in the Bible Belt South is to try and once again take something that to some degree we've almost been inoculated with. I, I think Southern churchianity, unfortunately, is not a good representation of true biblical Christianity. Because in so many places it has the spirit of the elder brother. It's judgmental and it's pharisaical and it's, it's come in and if you don't look just like we do and if, if you don't just act like we do and you have all kinds of problems and you're not doing a good job covering them the way the Pharisees do, then in so many circles you're not welcome. And I just want to say this morning that this is not that kind of a place. I'll be the first to stand up and I will, I will be glad to say, like the Apostle Paul I am the chief of sinners. God is still working on me. I am not a perfect pastor. And you know what? This is not a perfect church. And when you find it and join it, it will cease to be a perfect church. Because you, as an imperfect person, just joined some folks that are pretending to be perfect. Can I have an amen this morning? It's so critical that we realize that while God is transforming us, in the process, he still called us to take the message of the gospel of transformation to everybody else around us. That, 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 that is so critical that we don't forget where God brought us from so we won't be too quick to judge others that might be back in that spot where we once were. Because it's so important that we have a spirit of servanthood. Now let me get this scripture. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, 
He loved them to the end. The NIV says he showed them the full extent of his love. Now, if you would listen this morning as I read from Philippians chapter 2 in the message. Philippians chapter 2 is was considered during the early church literally to be a hymn. This is something that they sang. It was a hymn of praise. Theologians call this the kenosis passage. Kenosis is the Greek word which literally means to empty and pour out. And this is the passage that it speaks of Jesus' humiliation. There are seven steps in his humiliation and there are seven steps in his exaltation. You're going to see as I read this morning, and I love Eugene Peterson's The Message. Just listen. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever, so that all created things in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. Let's bow our heads together for a word of prayer. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for this time together in this service. We acknowledge that you are Lord of heaven and earth. You're Lord right now of the circumstances that we face. You're Lord over the baggage that we carry. You're Lord over the mess that is in my life and in the lives of my brothers and sisters that are here today. God, I cry out to you and I ask you for a spirit of grace, for a culture of grace to be in this congregation. Lord, that we would not be inoculated with the dead germ of southern churchianity so that when the living, breathing germ of real Christianity comes in contact, that we end up warding it off like a disease. God, let us fully embrace the true meaning of the crucified life and what it means to walk with you and to be selfless and to give ourselves and to think of others first. And God, what it means to follow your example today. I ask you for this. I ask you to anoint my lips. Let these people have ears to hear. Spirit of the living God, speak in this place by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Only you can do that. You're the only teacher. I can't do anything apart from you. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Give us your word today that changes us into your very image. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said. This is an amazing passage. John chapter 13. I don't know if you know this, but Gospel of John is really very different than the other three synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic, S-Y-N means together. Optic means to see together. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels because you have a miracles, the same teachings, the same parables over and over and over again. Matthew was written to the Jews. Jesus is called the king of the Jews in Matthew. He took time to talk about the genealogy. Mark was written to the Romans. Mark is literally almost an ADHD kind of a writer because he's, he's, like, a, he's like a man's movie script. I mean, it is, a, it is an action-packed stuff is blowing up, straightforward, albeit, and all of a sudden you turn around and here, here you go, and, and every time they're turning around and boom, immediately, and words like straightway and immediately and appear over and over and over again in the gospel of Mark because it's moving quickly. 
And Mark wrote to the Romans to prove to them that Jesus was the servant of servants. Luke, being a physician, and some in history say that he was a painter, somewhat of a, an artisan. And Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke specifically to minister to the Greeks who were looking for the perfect man. The Greeks who idolized to some degree because of the Olympian culture, the perfect athletic male body, the development of the perfect mind. Luke wrote to the Greeks for the purpose of showing them that Jesus was the perfect son of man, the sinless son of man. John was different in that he wrote to believers. He wrote to declare that Jesus is the son of God. Matthew, he's the king of kings. In Mark, he's the servant of servants. In Luke, he's the son of man. And in John, he's the son of God. And in John, you see seven particular, very special miracles that John picked out, Greek word samion, and it literally is a sign miracle. First one being when Jesus turned the water into wine in the wedding at Cana of Galilee. His mother said, hey, they're running out of some good juice. And he said, hey, lady, it's not my time. What, what, do, you, what do you mean? And from then on, you have seven very important miracles that show how God works in the life of the believer. Half of the gospel of John literally is consumed with the last two days of Jesus' life. I don't know if you know this, but from John 12 all the way through the end of the book, it is all concentrated from about Thursday. We call it on the church calendar, Monday, Thursday. And this is where we're going to break in here tonight. And I'm sorry, today, this morning in John chapter 13, this is Monday, Thursday. They're meeting the Passover. It's if you remember, the Hebrew calendar day moved from evening to morning. And so they're getting ready to celebrate the Passover. And they're celebrating literally the new covenant meal. Jesus raises the cup in the midst of this time together. And in John 14, 15, and 16, after 13, after he does what I'm going to show you what he does this morning, Jesus opens up and he starts to talk to them about the Holy Spirit and how he must go away, but he's going to send another comforter. And it's a very intimate time between Jesus and the disciples, and there's some amazing teaching that he brings here in this several-hour period of time where he's telling them, hey guys, it's my time. The hour's come. And so from John 13 all the way to the end of the gospel, the end of the book itself, it, it is from Thursday night before the crucifixion on Good Friday, and then he's in the grave, and then on the third day he's raised, and then the gospel closes out. So from 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, you find all the way through the end of the gospel of John. This is taken up in about three days' time. Did you know that? It's amazing. So this is a real intense, intimate moment with Jesus and the disciples. He's gathered them together, and he has something that he wants to show them, the importance of what it means to love. He says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. A commandment that I'm going to give you, that you must love one another, that your joy may be full. Now there's one thing I want you to take home with you this morning from this message. This, this is a one-point message. I'm, go, I'm going to expand it four different times, but this is a one-point message. And I want you to see this this morning. And you might wonder, what in the world is he talking about? Everybody say this with me. Serving is an inequality. Say it again. Serving is an inequality. Now, an inequality in mathematics is two things that are set against each other, but one is greater than or one is less than the other. You remember this probably in about fifth grade math, and you remember the, the less than sign, and you remember the greater than sign, and you remember it had a little line underneath it, and that means less than or equal to or greater than or equal to. But basically what we're saying is that the thing that's on this side of this inequality, and the thing that's on this side of this inequality are what? It's an inequality, so obviously they're not equal. Okay, what I want you to see this morning is this principle of serving is an inequality because Jesus is always greater than self. The whole focus that I have as a believer, the whole focus that I have not as a pastor, let me just take off the pastor hat this morning and let me talk to you as a sheep to sheep. Everybody say, bah. Yeah. From one sheep to another, let me tell you, this is what Jesus is showing us. It's not about me. It's not about us. But it's, 
It's, it's not even about this group that is in here together and how much we are supposed to love each other, but it's about the fact that we are on a mission called to love each other so much that everybody else outside these doors is captivated with a lifestyle that they've never seen lived out before. But it's, it's the living Christ, the resurrected one, the crucified and the resurrected Christ living on the inside of us to such a degree that we don't think of ourselves first, but we learn to think of others before we think of ourselves. Jesus is always greater than self. Now, I want to jump into this this morning. And number one, I want you to see, this is found in John chapter 13. Now, I'm going to read this. This is not on the board. This is not in your notes. But on the very first one, the Bible says, Jesus took off his garments and he put on a towel. Now, all of you are glad this morning that I'm not going to preach this literally. <laughs> Some of you are going, man, how did he get a sheep that big? <laughs> Jesus, the, literal, the scripture says he took off his outer garments. He wasn't nude. He had on his undergarments covering his physical body, <clears throat> but he put on a towel. The passage is found in John chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. He says, God the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Verse 4, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And you know the story. Jesus is down here on his knees and he's got a towel and he's holding the feet of some disciples that in the middle of a culture, that is their main means of transportation. They didn't have bicycles. They didn't have Asian rickshaws. They didn't have mopeds. They didn't have cars, no trams, no trains, no airplanes, no buses. None of that stuff like we have today. The main way they got to places was on the back of a donkey or by hoofing it. Left, right, left, right. How I mean, you know when you're walking down dusty roads in desert, wilderness, barren areas, there's a lot of dirt and probably the nastiest thing on you is going to be all that lovely stuff up in between your toes. <laughs> Jesus, who is master and servant of all, in the middle of a meal that he knows is his last one, this was his last act that he did with those that he loved. And the Bible says those disciples that were with him, he loved them to the very end. The NIV says he showed them the full extent of his love. He got down and embraced the lowest, the dirtiest part of every one of those disciples. None of them perfect. Just living everyday lives. Dealing with the, the hygiene that you have to deal with in a culture where you're walking down dirty roads every day and you're probably up to your knees with nasty caked on swirling dirt. And Peter responds and he says, oh, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. Peter is so thankful to God that Peter is in the Bible. Peter so helps me. Because Peter, Peter, he gets his mouth in gear before he gets his mind locked in and he says some stupid things sometimes. Thank God for Peter. Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you don't have a part with me. Oh, well, well, by all means, Lord, I want you to wash. Uh, give me a new do. I want you to wash my hair, my head, and my hands too. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. If you've been bathed, you don't need all that. And he's saying something very important. It's very theological. He's saying, my spoken word has cleansed you, but I just need to wash your feet. And he goes about the business with the towel on. The master of all of these, yet he takes the place of the lowest servant in the house. Now, let me just say this. This had to shock these guys. Because this is the same Jesus whom the crowds had just been shouting for and waving palm branches just a couple of days ago. 
They'd taken their cloaks off and thrown them into the streets and they'd cut down branches and they'd wave them and they'd shout, Hosanna! Hosanna to the King of Kings! Blessed is this Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Yet Jesus took all of that and laid it aside and He showed them. He said, guys, this is what my kingdom is all about. And He got down on His knees and He began to wash the dirt and the filth from the feet of some guys that He knew in a few hours some would deny Him and they would scatter. He loved them so much. Listen to me this morning. Some of you have got some dirt on your feet in your lives today and you're ashamed of it, but you're in the right place. Because this same Jesus who washed the natural feet of His disciples is here to wash your spiritual feet today and tell you that His love is bigger than the stuff that you're carrying and the junk that you're dealing with. I'm talking to believers right now. He's already done a work of grace and mercy in your life and He's already bathed you. And He says, listen, I just need to wash your feet. There's just a couple little things in your walk that I want to clean up just a little bit. And the focus is not even on all of that. Last thing we need to do is say, oh no, Jesus, that's too humbling. I I can't have you do that. Jesus says, no, if you don't let me, you don't have a part with me. You don't have a share with me. Jesus washed all 12, even the one that he knew was going to betray him. He said, you know something, not all of you are clean. Scripture says, referring to Judas Iscariot, because it had already entered into his heart to betray the one who was the servant of servants, the one who was the king of kings, the one who was the perfect son of man, the one who was the son of God who had laid it all down so he could demonstrate what pure, perfect love is. This kind of love is not convenient. It means getting up underneath and stooping down very low to deal with people's stuff. And it means we might get a little bit of dirt on us. It means that we're going to have to love others enough that it's beyond any concern that we have on somebody else that thinks, well, what are you doing even associating with those folks? Do you know what they're in? Do you know what they've been wrestling with? Do you know about his past? Do you know about her reputation? Jesus says, come on, guys, you got to love bigger than that. you got to love more than that. And this is what he said. He finished the job, and he stood up, and he took off the towel, and he put his outer garments back on, and he folded the towel, and he sat down with all of these disciples, and he began to open his word. This is what he showed them. Bible says in John chapter 13, verse 12, he said, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. Everybody say example. That you should also do just as I have done to you. Point number two this morning. Remember, serving is an inequality. Jesus is always greater than self. When Jesus did, did this, it had to shock the disciples because the servant in the house, in the Hebrew culture, who washed the people's feet when they came in from the journey was literally the lowest servant on the pecking order. Servants in a house had that. You get a new job. You, get an, you go in as an entry-level position on any job, and guess what you're going to do? You're going to do the grunt work. You're going to start in the mail room. You're going to start down in the basement. You'll make the deliveries. You'll pick up the cleaning for the boss. Go by and pick up his dry cleaning. Run by Starbucks in the morning and pick up his mocha chocolate or whatever it is that he drinks. You'll do the grunt work. Because that's just basically the way it is in culture. Then we, we learn to serve. We learn to serve from the ground up. And you know something? Jesus showed us that none of us are ever so great or so big or so huge or so mighty that we can't stop and take time to do the menial things and to do them with joy. I I walked in this morning and we're still in this awful building and every time it rains, 
I, I start thinking about, okay, I need me some of that gopher wood like that, 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 that Noah built the ark out of. I, I need me some of that incorruptible kind of wood. Where can I find me some of that? Because every time it rains, it's all over the place and buckets are sitting all over the place. And I walked in the door and Josh Stark had a mop and he's, he's mopping. How you doing, brother? How many of you know... And I've taken that mop and mopped in times when people never knew it. And, you know, that's not even what it's about this morning. As a matter of fact, you know something? It's about am I able to and am I willing to do things in secret that nobody else even knows anything about because I'm not doing it for a show for anybody to see, but I'm doing it because of the joy of the Lord and I'm doing it for Him. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Jesus is always greater than self. And, and can I do what I do with joy? And can I, can I realize that if I'll stop and take time to give an encouraging word, it's not always about a big kingly piece of wisdom or a big pastorly piece of advice. Sometimes it's just a hug. Sometimes it's just a smile. Sometimes it's just an encouraging word to say, hey, listen, I'm praying for you. I've got your back. I'm standing with you. Can somebody say amen? amen. Jesus showed them an example. He got down and he literally said, look, guys, I am willing to show you that I'll take on the very lowest servant in the house because that's the way into, that's the front door into my kingdom. If you're going to be great, you have to learn to serve everyone. If you're going to be first, then you have to go to the back of the bus and go to the end of the line. If you're going to live, then you have to learn how to lay it down your life and die. Come on, somebody. Jesus gave us an example of greatness, point number two, the law of reciprocity. And I've already been preaching it. This is an upside-down kingdom. To receive means I learn to first give. To live means I learn to die. To be great means I learn to serve. To lead means I learn to serve others. Not just demand that people follow, but learn to serve. Come on, somebody. Number three, I want you to realize this morning that we all, in the middle of all the religiosity around us in the Bible Belt South, and even all of these disciplines, if, it's, if, if, if I start out with myself, if I have myself at the focus, then I'm already missing it. Notice the equation. Notice the inequality didn't say self is, let me get it right, self is less than Jesus. Okay? Here's the, the big ends going over here toward Jesus. Self is less than Jesus. I don't start with myself. I always start with Jesus being the first thing on my heart and on my mind. It's, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for Jesus. Come on. He is the focus. He is the reason. He is the, the product. He, he is the motivation behind every bit of it. Trying to grow spiritually produces the rotten fruit of pride. I struggle with that. I have too much of it. I have to go before God and say, God, I don't know where this comes from. I don't want this. I'm not asking you to show your hand this morning. And, and I'm not trying to be overly transparent. I just want to be real just for a couple of minutes. This is something that we all face. It's something that started in the garden. When God, by decree, set it all into order and He said, this is yours. He said, I've set you down in the middle of this. You can have every bit of this, but just that one tree over there, leave it alone. That's mine. And Eve and Adam both were lured and deceived by the whisperer, by Satan himself. And they heard the words and they were tempted because he said, God, take this thing, then you will be like him. And they were drawn into that deception. And disobedience came. Disobedience entered into the human race. And because Adam was the federal head of this whole thing, every one of us were born into sin because our forefather brought sin into being. Disobedience, pride entered in. I, I want to be, be like God. You know, that's the whole issue right there is that, is that when I can really come to the realization that yes, there is a God and no, I am not Him. That is a crazily powerful revelation that will dawn upon your life and change you when you can really understand that. There is a God, and I ain't Him, baby. He alone is God. And His Word is true. And I make a decision whether I'm going to live according to that Word. The Scripture says this way, and this is John the Baptist written in the Gospel of John. 
You guys know those are up to the same guys, right? John the Baptist, coming to the close of his ministry, he says, He must increase, but I must decrease. John chapter 3, verse 30. Before I jump into that, I want to get this little quote. Read the quote with me right underneath the point three. It says, Pride is a persistent problem. Let's read it together. Pride is a persistent problem for people who strive for spiritual growth. Now, when I'm trying, when I'm trying real hard to live like Jesus wants me to live, and I'm gritting my teeth, and I'm serving, hoping everybody else will see it, then guess what I'm doing? I'm producing that pharisaical spirit that stands in the temple and says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Jesus gives a parable and speaks a word that ticks the Pharisees off. Did you know that most of the time the problems Jesus faced were not with the sinners, not with the low-down, no-good, dirty, wormy people of the world, but they were the religious people who caused the most problems that He faced? It's really not unlike today. Fundamentalists have taken all the fun out of walking with Jesus. And we get so religious and we get so caught up in all of our rules and we start thinking, well, look at what I've done. I've fasted, I've prayed, I've kept all these laws. And before you know it, we're standing up and we're reminding God of how great we are. And there's a little sinner over here in the corner who's beating his breast and barely speaking above a whisper going, oh God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, that man will go home justified. But God doesn't hear the prayer of the Pharisee. God help us. God help us lest you think that I'm standing up here going, all you Pharisees, I'm going, God, don't let me have that spirit. Don't let me try harder. Don't let me strive. Because when I strive and I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job in my own strength, it is so easy to start just settling back into a little bit of a self-righteous kind of pride. And God said, man, that is the enemy of the fruit of the Spirit. That is the rotten fruit of pride. And that happens when I even start. And you know something? Let me just tell you. This, this week, Dawn and I were talking about this and wrestling over this, and she was talking to me about this whole issue of mathematical inequalities and how serving is an inequality and that I never can. He is always greater. He's greater than. Matter of fact, let me just give you this passage. What does it say right here in John 13, verse 13. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Look at this, verse 15. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not what? Greater than. There's the inequality right there. Greater than, less than. Greater than, less than. A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them, he said. When I try real hard, I I, I get this kind of an idea. Oh, I have to decrease. He must increase. I I, I have to to focus real hard on holding my temper. I, I have to decrease that anger in my life. Jesus, you must increase. I, I, have to, I, I have to make sure that I'm more patient because I'm such a type A personality and, 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 I, and I want things done a certain way. And if people don't do it, then I get impatient with them. Oh, but Jesus, you must increase. And do you see what's wrong with all of that? It's all starting with me first. Notice that John the Baptist didn't say, I must decrease, he must increase. What was the order? It starts with Jesus first. Say that with me. He must increase but I must decrease. Let me tell you something. The worst thing you can do is to put yourself on some kind of reform program where you're going to change yourself in your own strength. You know what you need? First of all, if there's something you're personally struggling with this morning, you need to cry out to God and say, God, I cannot do any of this by myself in my own strength. I'm totally bankrupt. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Increase in my life. And when He comes and imbibes you with... He turns your water into wine and He fills you with the Holy Spirit and His presence is running out over the top of you. Guess what? It's so easy when He has already increased on the inside of you for you to start saying, Now, God, I thank you that you can decrease this thing I'm struggling with in my heart because He's already filled you up full and replaced it with something else that's so much better than. 
Are you hearing me? It's never about me starting first saying self is less than Jesus. But it's always starting with him first. Jesus is greater than me. It's not me saying, oh God, I have to decrease. Jesus, please increase in my life. No, 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 it's the other way around. Jesus is greater than self. He must increase, but I must decrease. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning. Trying to grow spiritually produces the rotten fruit of pride. It's just not about, let me say it again, there's a total difference between trying and training. When I train and I'm submitting myself, if I have a problem with my mouth and I'm practicing the discipline of silence, I'm putting the sails up and I'm saying, wind of the Holy Spirit, come and blow through my life and transport me into a new place of maturity. If it's a sin of commission, then I have to do a discipline. I have to train with a discipline on purpose. I got out and I did five miles yesterday. And I'm, I'm gradually a little bit just adding. And I'm, I, I do a, a 5K, 3.2 miles, four days a week. And I'm shaving off about 30 seconds every day. I'm pushing myself just a little bit harder, a little bit harder, a little bit harder. Training. Forgive me, I, I'm not going to hit this every time I'm up here between now and December. I know you'll be sick of it by then, but... I, it's just so, it's so appropriate. There's no way. I can't get out there in December and try really hard. I will throw up. Forgive me. If that, that's my non-religious part. If anybody's religious, then you, you won't come back anymore. I will puke right out there on 2nd Street in the St. Jude Marathon, trying really hard, but it'll never happen if I don't keep training and keep training and keep training. And keep pushing myself and keep trusting God. And I'm saying every time I'm out there doing it and I'm pushing a little bit harder, Father, I thank you that I'm 215 pounds. I'm in the best shape I've ever been in my whole life. And I'm coming in on mile 26 right now in the name of Jesus. And if you think I'm kidding you, that's exactly what I say. <laughs> training. Pushing a little hard, a little harder. Training. Training on purpose. If I just try then it produces the, the rotten fruit of spiritual pride. Listen to the message. This is the assigned moment for him to move into the center while I slip off to the sidelines. Can I do something to serve somebody else and not make myself the center of attention? Can I do it and let, let them know, hey, you're the most important person in my life at this moment. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing it for Jesus. Come on, somebody. Number four, and I'm finished this morning. Jesus revealed the nature of God in the form of a servant. This whole passage in Philippians chapter 2 is amazing because it says he emptied himself. He poured himself out, all of his divine attributes, all of the deity, everything that made him transcendent and completely, totally different and other than us. He poured it out and laid it down and he became Emmanuel, imminent. He became God with us, God in our presence. And not just God in our presence, but he walked around as a man. He became human. And, and, and there are some who would translate this and say, in spite of the fact that he was God, he didn't try to prove it. Having all of the attributes of God, yet he didn't prove it. And I would contend with you, that that structure of that Greek in the original is not saying in spite of, but it's saying he became a servant because he was God. He came and he revealed himself to us and showed to us that the very nature of God himself is to get down underneath the problem of the least and the lost and, and, and the, the hopeless and the hapless and the dying and get up underneath them and take upon him the burden of the whole world and take that thirst and let it be crucified and kill every accusation of the law against you that was ever brought up against you. And then cry out, it is finished, it is paid for, to tell us it is done. Every sin from your past, every sin that you will commit in the future, He took away the sins of the world and then He took it down into the grave and He buried it and then three days later got up out of the grave. Come on, somebody. I've got to dial this back. I'm getting a little bit too over the top intense here. I'm so thankful that the King of Kings is also the servant of servants. 
The eagle is also the ox. God is also a man. And he came and he lived and he died and he lived a perfect, sinless life. If anybody didn't deserve what he went through, some of you this morning are going, yeah, but you just don't know what I'm having to deal with. I don't deserve this. Well, guess what? Jesus is the only person in history who really could rightfully say, I don't deserve what got done to me. And he opened his arms and he let them crucify him and he willingly gave up his life. And he showed to us what the real nature of God is, that God is a servant. He stooped down. David said this way in the Psalms and as I bring this message to a close this morning, I'm going to invite the musicians back. They're going to do a song today that's the words of the thief on the cross. Jesus was crucified, and as we celebrate this week, as we move into Holy Week, and there are services that are going on around our city, and I'm participating in that. I'll be preaching at Marion United Methodist Church Thursday. At 12.05, Marion United Methodist Church, if you'd like to come, I'd love to have you. Probably a little bit of this message. I only have 10 minutes, though. <laughs> Holy Week services each day, and you'll, you can check it in the paper or in all the churches. And as a member of the Ministerial Association, they invited me to preach at the Methodist Church in Marion on Thursday. So that's Monday, Thursday. And this is what God's put on my heart, just an abbreviated version to bring to them. That is how God showed us his very spirit, his very nature is that of a servant. Two thieves died on a cross. Just heart in the process. Another man rebuked and rejected and mocked. This morning, every one of us in this room, either you've come to this place in your life at some time before or you're at this moment right now. We are like those two thieves. We deserve to die. The man hanging in the middle does not. And yet he's willingly laying down his life to take away the sins of the world. And this morning I would ask you the question, hear this and these words to this song and this message. Let the Spirit of the Lord speak to your heart. So long, oh, such a long time. I've lived with peace and rest. Now I'm here, and my destination. I guess things were for the best. And I know that my time. 
a man, this a man beside me, yeah. They call the king of the Jews. No, they don't believe, yeah, that he's the Messiah. But somehow I know it's true. And they laughed at him in mockery. And they beat him to bleed. And they nailed him to the rugged crowd. And they raised him. Yes, they raised him. Next to me. Paradise is a commencement. 